So hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues which move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'll be talking to two artists about making a difference. Inspiration for this episode has come from a book I'm reading at the moment, The Art of Relevance. It's by Nina Simon, a museum director, and in it she talks about relevance as a key to a locked room. We, the artists, makers or curators, are inside the room with our insiders who get what we're doing, but there are people on the outside seeing the door to the room and not being able to open it, and perhaps there are others who don't even see the door, they've no idea it's even there. It's really fascinating stuff. And to contemplate this further, I have with me today Zoe Golding, Artistic Director of Zoe Logic Dance Company, and Anthony Misson, Artistic Director of Company Chameleon. Welcome. Thank you both for being here, albeit virtually. Pleasure. It's nice to be here. Pleasure. Same. So as we contemplate relevance, I wanted to ask you first, Zoe, can you tell us a little bit more about your work and who it's for, just in a nutshell? In a nutshell, I guess I've always been inspired by the moment you see someone's perception change about what dance is. I love bringing stories to life and taking it to people um, who have never engaged with the arts before, making it relevant to them, um, about them, with them, for them. So that's what gets me up in the morning. And I think that's what's been the heart of Zoologic for quite a long time, really. So what kind of work are you making? So we make um, male-dominated work. So we challenge perceptions of men in dance, who dances for and how it's seen. So we make outdoor shows that are inspired by stories, journeyings. We've got a show on a car that spins and tips, and that's about creating a discussion about dance from not just the dance point of view, but um, engineering and something nostalgic. I love cars. I always want a transformer, basically, which is why I made that show. Um, we do other shows now that put people at the heart of the experience. So we've got a detective show called Sluice, where the audience choose the clues. They are in control of what happens. And we have dance experiences now that are really focused on what the participants take away, enveloped by the amazing art form itself and what we bring to it. So, yeah, people are at the heart of what we make, really. Fantastic. And how about you, Anthony? You're nodding away. Yes. I imagine lots of that is resonating. What kind of work are you making and who is that for? Uh, Who's it for? I guess... In the first instance, it's me kind of looking in and looking out, thinking about things I've experienced or challenges, uh, things that have been spinning around my mind for a long time, which I don't necessarily have answers to. And it's looking out at the world, looking at politics, people, social observations. And I guess a lot of my creative work is about questions around the human condition and making some kind of commentary around that. The other big part of what we do is participatory work. We work across all sorts of different contexts in schools, in prisons, um, in mental health secure units. So there's all sorts of people we engage with. So it's kind of, we make work for lots of different communities and, and create it and plan it specifically for them. I guess the other newer bit of what we do. A couple of years back, we took on a remit to look at dance development for Manchester. So there's a lot more work we do focused on artists and developing the form more broadly within the city and the greater city region. Fantastic. And so a harsh question Mm. for an introduction, I think, but essentially it's going to be what this episode is all about. Why does what you do matter, Anthony? I, I guess why it matters is I've seen 
over the years, working across all the concepts I have, just the absolutely massive transformative value that it has. It has the capacity to really help people dig deep inside themselves and make discoveries about themselves, which I don't know how you might otherwise access. So it's interested in your introduction, you were talking about a locked door. And I look at it similarly, it's kind of providing gateways, it's giving people tools or ideas to uh, reach within themselves and make an expression to put it out there into the world, basically, whether that's mm. in a small room or whether that's out in front of loads of people. Mm. How about you, Zoe? Absolutely the same. Couldn't have said it better, really. The fact for me is it allows the unheard to be heard, the unseen to be found. You know, it actually goes through to different places of the unexpected. And I think the beauty of creating the access that this might be for you, like give it a go. We're not going to force you, but then you watch that little spark go and it has those life-affirming, life-changing moments that, as Annie said, we see them. It's not like a theory. It's not a maybe what if. It's 20 years of living it and actually seeing it happen, which gives it value to me and the people that work with Zoologic and those that... Yeah, that we work with, really. There is no other way to explain the power. You've seen it. Mm. So it, it makes you want to push for creating that opportunity more and more, really. Have you got an example, I wonder? You said it's not a theory, you've seen it. Well, I mean, I worked with one young lad in a secure unit many years ago, and he'd never had access to dance at all. And it was, you know, I've been doing fuzzy logic with the lads for a while. I knew what I was doing. We had workshops, but I'd never gone into this environment before. And I'm like, right, I'm going to give it a go. This is interesting. Bunch of lads, never done dance. We're in a secure unit. They're going to be like, nah not for me but ultimately we created a brilliant project and this one lad had a talent that he didn't even know he had and what that led to was actually me being employed to get him a GCSE whilst he was in there in dance which was a challenge because he couldn't come out and see anything I couldn't broaden his world bar me and him and some resources Uh, but what happened then is he left that institution he didn't return to his hometown and he wanted a career in dance so at that moment he decided to change his life because of something that gripped him. And if I hadn't have sort of pulled my big girl pants up and gone, right, let's go into this really, (laughs) really could be quite challenging environment, his life may never have had those opportunities. And he's a professional dancer now. And that's just one of many, many stories about how transformational it is through especially the lads that we work with. So, yeah, it's pretty powerful when you say it like that, really. Anthony, have you got something like that, a little story, a little something that just lives with you and makes everything that you do. Yeah, I guess just listening to Zoe then, I was thinking about a project we ran in Trinidad quite a few years back. It was a group of young kids, 10, 11, 12 years old, all from a pretty bad, I say bad, um, community. It's bad in terms of they've got enormous rates of murder and rape. It's the, the second worst statistically outside of parts of South Africa. And we spent a week with these kids I remember we had to have an armed guard with us the whole time who basically said, I'm stood here. If I say to you, we go, you leave your bags, follow me at this distance, don't turn around, you just go. And we spent a week with these kids that had all, some horrendous stories and experiences and to see what unlocked in them through the journey we took together was absolutely life-affirming and a reminder if I ever needed one of how unbelievably valuable it is to see people blossom and just discover and soften and discover things about themselves and about the other people in the room was wonderful and to hear 
about how all those kids are doing now. They've all gone on to do some brilliant things, kind of peer leadership work, head of the steel drum band and all sorts of stuff. And that particular project was so successful that they, they rolled out a version of it at a national scale which kind of showed the impact that it had. One little story oh. of a million, I can tell you. <laughs> I know, right? It's just reminded me of something else as well. Like, obviously, we go to the extreme of engagement and relevance, but even just Tuesday, our fuzzy lads, so Fuzzy Logic, our male youth dance company, they have been online every week since March. We've been live, very minimal. The engagement hasn't dropped off. And even just your average, you know, regular activity delivery has importance. And these lads are saying, this is the only thing that makes me feel normal. Just seeing your face is the thing that gets me through the week. I miss you all. I respect you all. I'm here because I want to be here. Like Even the smallest, you've got me through my homework today. It helps on all sorts of scales, the extreme and just everyone, really. Even me. Like we get to Tuesday and I'm like, thank God. It's medicine time. It's my time out as much as it is theirs. So this is interesting, isn't it? We're all sitting here and nodding and loving and relishing these sorts of stories because it's what makes us do what we do. It's why we're here, all those things. But what we're really going to focus on today is how we're communicating that, how we're measuring that, what sort of tools we have to make others believe what we do or to change what we believe because of the stories of others. You've both been talking to me about the stories that you're bringing from other people. So one of the things I wondered is, how do you know that the work you do matters to others in the same way that it matters to you? I mean, this is the essence of a funding application, if I'm going to be really boring about it. I mean, it's what we're always doing, isn't it? Advocating. Why should this happen? Anthony. Talking to people, first of all, so, for example, our studios are in a pretty deprived area of Manchester. And part of our work is getting out and about, talking to people. So inviting them into the space, you know, there's a lot of cultural centers that a lot of people feel that this isn't a place for me. I don't have access to this. So you can't shut yourself off behind a wall. So you've got to really think about how do I interface and engage with these people? And how does what they say shape the planning that I'm doing or shape the programs or redevelop the programs? How can I learn from it? How can I make the experience better? How can it be tweaked? What do you want? So it's really about talking and listening and just trying to find different ways to do that. And that can be through us, you know, sending our teams out in the rain, putting flyers through people's doors, or it can be about getting people into the building to watch little scratch sharings having a really good, diverse, broad range of people that can give us their take on it from completely different points of view. Obviously, as a publicly funded organization, we've got to do a massive amount of reporting. Understandably, we're recipients of, of public money. It's really important. And all that data, the um, quantitative stuff is going to help the people push for more for our art form and for culture more broadly. So it has to be done. I think the other thing that we've done quite a few times is um, pull on external researchers. So we've, we've had um, researchers from UCLan and Manchester Metropolitan University look over our longer term projects. So for example, there was one that we've ran for quite a while called Broad, that's building resilience and overcoming adversity through dance and drama. And it's a program that we put into prisons, young offenders institutes, and uh, working in different mental health secure units. So we really work hard with these researchers first to kind of identify the research questions, but then how to gather the evidence and document it and evaluate it, how we measure the impact, how we measure the outcomes, but ultimately how we learn so we can carry on and develop it and share all these things with people. 
talking, listening is the main thing, I'd say. Talking, that's such a powerful one, actually, because I think that's the simplistic way of explaining all of the evaluation we do. It's the most fundamental part, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's also with the young people. It's like, I've never been into, I'm the teacher. Nah. I'm teaching you this. This is what you're doing. It's, it's just to spend the time to actually engage with who's in front of you. For me, yeah. all of this, whether that's the participatory work or the performance work, it's about where we meet in the middle. It's not about yeah, me or you, nice. it's about us. So you have yeah. to create that space for that conversation to happen. Yeah, yeah. Zoe, what do you think? We know and our, our morals and our lives are like, yes, these are the things yeah. we champion, which is why we've met yeah, in our careers yeah. before. So again, echoing everything. But what's really interesting is we um, have started to look at some real co-community collaboration work. We've always done that in our processes, like working with Fuzzy or working on projects. But because we are in our first period of MPO, we're able to sustain activity and be able to promise more. I think when you're project-based, you can't really promise a legacy because you're not sure. Whereas the sustainability <laughs> of funding means, like when I commit, I commit. Like if I say I'm going to get that kid to dance in every week, if it means I'm picking them up, I'm picking them up. There is no way I'm going to throw away commitments. And what was really interesting as we've started this work with um, in inner city estate at Southampton, we took Ride, our show, which, um, you know, spinning, tipping, kite. It was just a, to create a discussion, to create an identity with them that wasn't about dance or having to oversell. They were just like, like, oh yeah, you're the car lady. You go, yeah, I'm the car lady. And as as I said, creating points for discussion. But I'll never forget the conversation is you're like, okay, so we've got this other thing. Do you want to come? And the guy goes, well, what's in it for me, love? And you literally, that's an okay statement to keep coming back to. We're, like you say, we can gush about it forever. But the reality is, well, what's in it for me? Why should I bother? And that's a really <laughs> grounding statement. You're like, yeah, you're right. Why should you bother? Actually? I love I love the idea of having that as a banner just in your office. Yes. Keep looking up to it and going, right, I need okay. to answer Why that every time I, I dream up a project. I literally do. I'll, I do. With the love at the Why end. should I bother? And then what that's allowed me to do is go to the communities and go, right, What we talk about barriers to engagement a lot. And what I find now, and again, like I say, we're publicly funded. I, I take that responsibility like quite seriously. We're here to serve the public for me. And I'm interested in making sure that they're part of that offer and surrendering yourself to going, OK, I don't know where this is going to go. We're engineered like here's a funding application. This is your outcomes. Here you go. But what does it really mean to surrender to a community and respond to them? So, for instance, the barriers are childcare. So we've paid for childcare. The barriers are location. So we've we're looking at creating an inflatable structure on site so we can be there. It's like the barriers aren't actually just the instant dance thing or the product. Actually, there's other social economical reasons. So it's about listening to be able to understand mm. how you can help. Yeah, and some yeah, people yeah. don't want it. And that's like totally okay, the idea that you can sort of brainwash the world. But actually the don't want it chats end up being the really fruitful ones because the more you listen and pay attention when they say, oh, it's not for me, the more they become your strongest advocates and you see them at the next community meeting and you're like, hang <laughs> about. Why? I remember you telling me something along those lines when I'd come to see Sleuth and you'd been talking about taking that onto some estates and a couple of guys just going, oh, this isn't for me. And, and you sort of going, come on, come on in. Just tell me what you think. Yeah. And that dialogue of you going, but actually what you think about what I'm about to show you is what I'm interested in. Yeah, and Not come and see it because it's going to make you better. No, it's about value. Uh, you know. I have this chat quite a lot. You know, areas of high deprivation is assumed that they don't have the money. You know, it's a choice where you want to put your money you know and it's an assumption or oh, there's none there 
well no it's just like okay I've got this money where shall I put it and do I value this experience and what was amazing with those guys they came in they saw sleuth they're like banging yeah I'll pay a tenner next time what you doing (laughs) it's not that the money's not there and I think that's you know a systemic issue about areas of high deprivation sometimes that yes that is a thing but also there are choices to be made and you're also making choices about where you're placing your work it doesn't just have to be the preserve of theatre no. because, you know, we know that there's a certain demographics that will be the end users of a lot of theatres mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that just won't go into them. Yeah. So what Zoe was saying was the same reason that we started making outdoor work in the first place. I was just thinking, you know, a lot of the people I grew up around are never going to go into the theatre. You're never going to be able to experience this thing that I think is amazing. So how can we take it out yeah. and get it in front of the people like me and people I grew up around. That was the driver for the first outdoor show we made yeah. good 12 years ago. And that's what we'd like to do all the time now. Yeah. You know? yeah. And not just, you know, it's amazing to go to big spanking international festivals. I love it, particularly the, the sunshine. <laughs> but also it is life affirming just to take it out into a, the local community to do local performances on streets or, you know, in shopping plazas and see how yeah. people respond to it. And that yeah. for me is where a lot of the gold dust has come yeah. when yeah. people find a, a recognition in what they're witnessing and kind yeah. of, you know, we're all fundamentally the same at a deep level. Yeah, exactly. We all yeah. have insecurities, doubts and fears and desires. And I think as long as you create with honesty that you have to work in a specific ways with your artists to achieve that, then people know they feel it, they recognize it, it has meaning. They kind of, Mm -hmm. even if you can't put words to it, they understand. And that's for me where some of the most wonderful conversations have been, you know, is some like old dears in tears just want to come to you at the end of an outdoor show and just go blah, 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 blah. And just giving the space for them just to talk away at you say this is what I felt this is what I thought it's just reminded me of um ride we took it round to care homes and we could get out of lockdowns we just put it in the car parks and we just look watch it out your window and a few people came out and it was just beautiful because isolation is so hard for everybody but what you had is you just know there'd been an exchange and they were going away with a memory whether they got the show or not was irrelevant whether whether they understood the dance style or not again was irrelevant they're like well that was really good tap you're like okay awesome it didn't matter it's not my place to judge what they saw it as but they took that story and had something to chat with with their family for the next 24 hours and I think that's lovely when you can go out and gift something and not have too many parameters back on objectives just go okay this is in response we did something similar with Greenwich Dance this year it wasn't this year it's last year it all blurs blurry this awful last 18 months we took a doorstep show out in October and the household could book it to come to the door so already they've engaged but they would do it as a sort of gift for the rest of the street so you know their neighbours would come out and and I went down to one of them and this lady came out and pulled her little deck chair what's this she's saying what's this I said oh that house there but this little it's seven minute show few people coming to the windows yeah it was magical simple simple show packed up into a suitcase you know but it's like you say it's a gift and it's a memory it's community building as well it's place making everybody would love for where they live to be the best place it can be so amazing if you can just step out and reimagine if you see the street in a completely different way than it was yeah it's a magic thing i think just gives you a spark of imagination to go wow yeah 
this is different. The magic's the thing in the theatre that obviously, you know, it captivated me way back when. And, and the reason for sort of, again, the relevance of what we do and why we take it out is a few of the community members in the estate that's on the same high street as one of the new theatres, Mast um, Mayflower Studios, said, I'm not allowed in those buildings. And that was their perception was they're not even allowed. It's not even, mm. it's not for me. And when I heard that, that was it. Like, be in my bonnet. Like, we have to help change that because that is not fair. That shouldn't be what's being said. That's how they feel valued, that they're not allowed. That was a bit, yeah, interesting to navigate. So that motivation makes whatever yeah. we take relevant now because we're going, yeah. yeah, yeah. So through that, I think we've touched on one of the Nina Simon sort of trademarks. She talks about insiders and outsiders a lot. And I've started to think those are quite helpful terms in a way. In the insiders, not just ourselves, like we are obviously, but those people that are really close to you, your fuzzy logic, young people, and perhaps the people that you're visiting at prisons that know that you're coming and are already sort of invested in you. And then the outsiders, the ones that we are trying to reach in some way. I wondered if you knew who were the outsiders that you're trying to reach and who are your insiders? Do you know who they are? Can you describe them as a group? I say that with reluctance because suddenly you're generalising everyone. But yeah, who are your insiders and who are your outsiders? Or who are you trying to reach? For me, I'd say my outsiders, the people that don't really engage with culture in the way that we might think what culture is. And it's to put stuff in front of people that they just might not have seen before, mm. really, yeah. or yeah. experienced. The non-dance audience, we often call them. Yeah. Yeah. I always think we get extra points for that. You know, that game. <laughs> Whenever you say I've reached a non-dance audience, somehow Ooh. you seem to get extra points, don't you, rather than my dancing audience. <laughs> but for me, it kind of bothers me that so much of the resource and funding goes to such a small proportion of population we all pay into the system yeah so yeah, we yeah. can't just cater for a small group it has to be shared more broadly than that and culture for different people is different things so we, we've got to listen to that and adapt and modulate or chuck out yeah, stuff yeah, where yeah. it needs to be chucked out things have got to keep moving forward if we want to do this in a more democratic way and a more fair way then things need to shift a bit and they are shifting which is nice to see in towns and cities all over the place there's lots of stuff now that you can engage with increasingly and it's much more visible and that's brilliant yeah again that's exactly it. the non-dancers that journey is interesting to be a part of it's a real honor to be a part of someone's journey when you know you're going through that outsiders for me are quite interesting in a terms of those that you think are in the know so those actually in the sector sort of running cultural organizations or arts organizations or theaters and you're like yeah cool they get it they're in the club and then you kind of go oh no they actually don't. They're either the medium, what it takes to make dance, you know, the process is different to theatre. You kind of get grouped. You go, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's the arts. And I think sometimes that's the outsiders, people that want to present work or want to collaborate with us and know they want us to do the thing but don't know what it takes. And you have to educate along the way and sometimes build a trust or not get a trust and you don't know why. So there's insiders that are outsiders, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, insiders, outsiders, and insiders that are outsiders. Gosh, we could go. To, we could, we could unpick that for a bit more. Um, but I'm going to move us on because I'm also interested in how we actually measure all of this. And I remember attending a seminar once with the very amazing Francois Matarasso, who was questioning our much-used phrase measuring impact we have to answer that question don't we in almost every yeah. funding application we ever write but we also then start talking and using that terminology because we believe it's accepted and I'll always remember that he was talking about the way that that 
word means crash and smash. It's got quite negative connotations in, in a way, and yet we embrace it into our vocabulary and somehow the forceful nature of that word starts to seep into our approach. And I'm so guilty of doing this, sort of crashing into communities with our offer without permission. And I did this a couple of years ago. We took a festival to Queenscroft Park, which is a lovely, quite underused park in a place in the borough called Middle Park. And we sort of plopped it there and then waited, you know, where are all the people? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just crashed in. Yeah. Like we, we didn't ask people, would they like a nice event in their park? Do you know, nothing. Yeah, yeah, we just yeah. put it there. It would be nice for them. They'll you know, like or, it. They'll really like yeah, they will. It'll be really good for them. No, I'm so, so guilty of it. And the more I read these things, the more I question it, the more we start to get better, better work. So I wondered how you felt about that. Have you ever fallen into that trap? And what are you doing to shift that idea of crashing into communities? How do you do it that's more equitable and more invited? I think there's a little bit of a balance to be struck up because obviously, like I said, we, we did take rides to this community. We took Sleuth first, actually, and we put it in the local Dockies Club over the road. And we said, come to the Dockies because you know where we are and you're just going to experience this show and walked around knocking on doors and then we did put ride on the estate but there was a balance we knew the purpose of ride was to create a discussion it wasn't necessarily to create any further engagement or buy anyone into the next experience it was literally to say hi and if we didn't do that we wouldn't be able to continue the conversations that are now so fruitful and now we're in the co-collaboration with the community because they know why we're there so it's a bit of a balance of crashing in but also trying not to dictate or impose what's next and what would you say Anthony I was just thinking about all the international work and projects we've done over the years and how sometimes I've felt like, you know, we've just been parachuted into communities to deliver specific things, whether that's workshops or performances, wherever that happens to be. So I think for me, there's a bit of an element of taking that as the starting point mm. and then asking ourselves, what are our values? What do we want? And then actually putting some work in to make sure that's part of the equation, which might mean letting some things go in the end, or at least pushing a little bit to go, we want to see this happening. So can we build partnerships to help create this with people that are local and on the ground and know what the needs are? Or can we find our own way to speak to people? which obviously takes a lot of time yeah. and, and additional work. It's really great. This project is supported by Paul Humlin and, and they test and explore. And those words are really great because when you're, you're self-made, like you're self-taught and you find your way, and right, this is how we do a workshop. This is how we deliver this. And they become packages that go out. My methodology is never, it's worked because it's happened and you've seen the impact and you can document it. But actually it's never been interrogated as to what parts of it are really successful and what parts of it could you do a bit better. And what's really nice about this now is when we're delivering workshops, it's framed with an evaluative sort of process with an outside onlooker that's going, the whole dynamic of the room changed then, why? And we're able then to kind of unpick what we're doing um, with the community. And that's really cool because it means we're growing at the same time and not just going, here's the thing, here's the thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the power of evaluation, isn't yeah. it? It's of testing what you're doing and constantly asking yourself, what can I do better? What can I do more of? What can I do less of? And perhaps not always the same for every situation. So I suppose there's some ways that you fluctuate between those sort of things. Oh, yeah. There were some things there that you do it a couple of times and it didn't quite work. And people say, we've got to get rid of that. You'd be like, no, 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 it's just, it does. It's just, there might have been an angle that time. So you find yourself refining, but mm. ditching, but not as well. Because 20 years of experience shouldn't be ignored, you know. <laughs> 
And I think also it's about evaluating with the participants, with the people that are actually doing it rather than you kind of going, okay, we think this works or this didn't work so well. It's building them in as part of that process. Essentially, it comes down to time, doesn't it? To deliver really well, co-produce with communities you can't do that in a short cycle. No, it, it, it's something that takes no. time. So my next question, I'm, I'm going to fire this one over to you, Anthony, first, because I think this must have come up for you, particularly with your work in prisons, that ethically we always have to ask ourselves whether the change we're trying to bring about has been invited and whether there's consent. So we want to make a difference, but how do we know that that person that we're wanting to change their life? Like, How do we know that that mm. person wants their life changed? Now, I imagine that comes up for you quite a lot in a prison situation. Talk us through some of your methodologies so that you make sure that what you're bringing to them is something that they have invited and the change that you're trying to create is something that they want to see in themselves. Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's about choice. So we'd never rock up into somewhere and go, you're doing this in this yeah. way. So the people that come on these programs, first, they can choose okay. whether or not they want to engage well, with that's them. That's interesting. It's never completely prescriptive. So there's been some kind of opt-in at the beginning. So there's usually whoever's working with them in-house, conversations will happen way in advance that help shape who becomes part of it because there will need to be a willingness. And is that something that you have built into your practice? Is that something that you would tell the prison has to happen if you were to come in and or is that something that the prison would have told you this is how we're going to do it it's a bit of both so it's kind of like this is how we think we might approach yeah. it and then they might say well actually you can't just bring in your own cds you can't bring in computer equipment and whatever so it has to be this we've got these protocols that need to be followed so i guess doing this work has come over a, a long period of time some of very specific training some of trial and error and a lot of conversation mm. the conversations have to be live and ongoing and take a lot of time way up front to make sure that we're working in conditions that work for everybody because everybody has to feel safe and secure and comfortable otherwise nothing can really happen yeah okay it's about safe spaces following on from that we do a lot yeah. of there's yeah. a lot of thought put into even now if i'm facilitating a discussion online even in zoom the time i'm putting into creating that place as a safe space for people to feel that they can be vulnerable or they can share a little bit more than mm. the facade that needs to go up there's as much work put into the project delivery as there is into the environment you're setting up. I know that relevance, again, coming back to that back in the day, it would be about what trainers I was wearing could make or break a conversation. And that environment, you really think about how you're impacting the environment when you come into it, what your attitude is when you're there, what music's playing when they're already arriving. So, yeah, there's more thought put into the safe space of it, I think. Yeah. And I think that's the same creatively working with the dancers Mm. when we're working on a new production. It's how to create that environment where they're willing to open themselves Like the things that we work with are quite deep and you're not willingly just going to want to go, here, I'm going to rip my chest open and let all this stuff out for you to tinker with in however, whatever way you feel you want to for your own vanity. It's kind of like if I'm inviting people to share their experience and stories and histories, then that has to be done in a way that's got a lot of care and thought and um, the sensitivity around it. So you've got to find the right ways for people to be okay with that and want to do it and that's also about working with people in the room in very different ways so it's not a one size fits all it's about trying to recognize where they are individually and working with them to get to where you want to be 
with mm. them, which also then within the room, that takes time because you've got to keep switching and having this back and forward process. Yeah. There's also this thing that it's okay to opt out. There's like commitment yeah. and then there's opt out. And what's been really lovely is generally the people in projects that have opted out, say we're working with a group of vulnerable lads and, and they go, no, nah, it's not for me. You find like a day later they're back in. They're like, oh yeah, I just, well, I've changed my mind. And yeah. you, you don't then go, oh, why? What? You just go, yeah. okay, they've made a decision to come yeah. back. There's no need to analyze that. And yeah. we've got fuzzies that, you know, have left and then come back again. Like, oh, hi. And also you have no clue what's no. going on in people's lives. So yeah. And we talked about how much time these projects take to set up, but what about the legacy of them? So all of the settings that you're talking about, where you've been able to bring about something completely different, something so refreshing, prisons, mental health institutions, care homes, what happens when you go? First of all, with the researchers we've been working with, because these things have been really well documented there's some publications that have come out that kind of unpick what the process has been and hopefully they'll be really valuable resources for other people in terms of legacy this is a thing that i've i mentioned before that a project i did in trinidad that was really impactful for me and i remember at the end of that project we did a performance on the savannah that got filmed then we had a bit of a party for the kids we had chinese lanterns and food and music it was amazing i sat with a young lad who was a tough lad and he had challenges through the week and was fighting his own demons and he sat crying and i sat with him really away from people just sat next to him didn't speak and he just sat and cried and i sat there thinking wow is it okay to bring this feeling of hope and positivity to somebody and then get on a plane and leave and what's going to happen with that is it better to have not done this at all? And I turned that over mm. in my head for about a year and mm. a bit because it really bothered me. And in the end, I thought, you know, actually, no, there is value because you would hope that people would discover things that they will carry forward in their lives, even if it's really small things. Yeah. So that's not just about big transferable skills we can talk about. It might be just really tiny little things that they've found. And for me, that's gold dust. How can we learn and grow? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a big question, isn't it? All of this work brings about that question and it's such a good one. And I think you found a really good answer there. Zoe, would you agree? Yeah. It's the word legacy. What does legacy mean? It means different things to all of us. A legacy can be, from my experience, a memory that's made that's never forgotten. Hmm. There's an emotional connect, physical. You're, you're never going to let go of that. That technically is a legacy. It doesn't mean there's been any more provision made. Like Annie's saying, that's there. And I've had the same sort of tussle when you've worked with a group. And they're like, is there any way I can dance weekly with him you're like no because you live hours away and yeah. oh god so I do find myself making some choices about legacy bringing a legacy discussion up with partners quite early on now yeah. and going right yeah. actually I'm a bit in it for the long term are you and seeing where that lies yeah. because then you know there's a hope that you can provide stuff for a bit longer or if it's not then you know how to frame yes what could come next yeah so yeah it doesn't take you by surprise <laughs> go back to the idea of promise again and not not yeah. setting up promises but also interesting that covid has now perhaps reframed some of that so the example you just gave of no you can't dance with us weekly might now be yes because yeah <laughs> Yes. Come on, no. whole new world. Yeah, you know, we never, we yeah. never considered anything. Who would have considered? 
having that in their offer. But now yeah. we've got different ways, even mm. that young boy or girl in Trinidad, there might be different ways of you being mm. able to extend something now. Absolutely, there are. Yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of the stuff that have sometimes been behind closed doors, now it can be yeah. open and accessible yeah. to a whole lot more people yeah. in a whole lot more places. Yeah. We've got one of our fuzzy lads that has moved away with his family. But he's still on sessions now. Lovely. Usually that would be it. That would be the end of the journey and you'd catch him now and then or they'd yeah. come back at weekends or for some summer intensives. And he's online every week and now he's online in the room. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, there's been some changes in behaviour that are really exciting. So another biggie here. I was listening to another podcast, Culture Plan B. It's excellent. There was one episode, I think it might even have been one of the first, where the beatbox artist Conrad Murray was talking about a project that he'd worked on with young people He'd gone out to an estate and he was talking about how he had to go so slowly. So he was meeting these young kids. They were all on kind of street corners. He had the key to a community centre and he had a loaded kit, but he knew he couldn't move those kids to the community centre because it had no relevance to them going back to that phrase that we've been talking about. It wasn't a place that they knew or they liked. So he started doing his sessions outside and they weren't even sessions. He was just talking to them and, it, you know, built up over weeks. And eventually he managed to get them into the community centre and they started playing with his kit and everything else. And as I was listening to it, we run a youth programme, but we have an expectation from our funders that there's a 45 minute or an hour dance lesson that happens in that community centre. And the freedom that Conrad had to say to whoever was commissioning him, I'm not doing that music lesson, but what I am doing is chatting to them on the street corner and I might be doing that for the next six weeks. I thought it was so powerful. And I just wondered, mm. has that happened to you where you've had to just let your artists or yourself tear up the lesson plan and go, not doing it, but I've got to do something else? <laughs> and do you have that tussle with funders or supporters where what you've promised isn't actually what you're delivering, but the outcomes are, you know, you're getting the change that they wanted? Has that ever yeah. I remember thinking yeah. a couple of years ago, Utopia, we're working with an amazing community in Mansbridge in Southampton. There's, it's a cafe called the Roundabout Cafe, and it's the epicenter of this community. There's no high street there. It's by where the Ford factory used to be. Yeah, there wasn't lots of infrastructure. It was just far enough away from the city to not want to go into it. We went to this cafe and it was amazing and you just sit there for hours chatting to loads of amazing people and we said oh would you like to be part of um, Head Funk which is our event that shines a light on men's mental health issues and we were like we'd really love to work with you and tell some stories about this amazing place that helps people and they're like yeah yeah awesome so I go off I get the money I get the project plan I'm like right this is the thing we're going to angle it at we're going to think about try and get stories of their cafe etc etc I walked in and within 10 seconds I literally threw the plan like out the window and I went they don't want that <laughs> they don't want why have I gone and but it's because usually you have one piece of the puzzle you've either got the people and not the angle you've got the angle and not the money yeah. and finally I'd gone oh I've got all parts and even that you know you just go yeah, yeah awesome that was my best lesson ever which was great yeah it's the same over and over again. I was thinking about a project we ran called Stride. It was a boys project we ran over years and going into some of the Prue's pupil referral units, you just have to go with the flow. And it's kind of like the lesson plan is out the door because you know, there's either kids climbing the walls or using language with me that I, I'm not really okay with, or kids banging on the windows or nobody there or one kid there and all sorts of variations. You just kind of have to go with it and work with what the situation is, what's in the room or what's not in the room. Yeah. And, you know. Makes you a really guptural artist, I think. Makes you really like, 
what you don't really have time in those situations to, no. to think you just yeah. want to make sure again the room's safe are people engaged are people okay totally and yeah even if it just ends up being did a little fraction of a couple of movements <laughs> yeah. together yeah. we learn how to do almost a handstand yeah. then then that's great yeah. that's brilliant it just reminded me of what you were saying before the the story you told about the chap on the housing estate mm. we had a launch event at the studio a couple of years back and some of the kids from the local community the big group of them we had some performances going on in here came in and the amount of people in the building that were guests that were kind of like <gasps> freezing and stopping eyes around like who's going to kick them out what's going to happen and we just said look guys we're just about to do this thing chill there's some sunglasses there there's some food on the table grab something watch just kind of let them be yeah and they all sat yeah for 25 minutes yeah. and watched the show yeah and then kind of when they felt like it, they walked out. And I think you have to allow for that to happen because we're in people's community. They're people from this community. Mm. If you demystify and shut the doors, that you're not helping yourself anyway. Yeah. It's really strange, isn't it? One of our dance artists, Colleen Joseph, was in a community centre in Middle Park. And she came back to me one day and she said, listen, I just need to tell you the truth. I'm not teaching them dance. What I have to do is play snooker with one of them and kicky up <laughs> yeah, with yeah. the other. And she said, and if I do that, then they sometimes will come in and they'll let me teach them like five minutes of routine. So she was like, is that all right? Will you bear with me? But you suddenly realise that, that we've become youth workers rather than dance artists. But actually, yeah. dance, you know, yeah. again, it goes back to time and COVID happened and stopped quite a lot of that activity. But given time, she would have ended up doing her dance class but it needs the trust to be built first doesn't it otherwise yeah. it goes back to everything we said before about crashing into that community with the dance class before it's been invited yeah. in yeah I remember being um, again working with a young lad and it was one-to-one and you know he he didn't really want to dance we were there to leave something dancing it was sort of dance and film and he wasn't really interested in the film but all of a sudden he was interested in this piece of rope and he kept like trying to wang it around the teacher's legs and stuff and then all of a sudden I turned the rope into the prop I was like right is a compass. Where does this rope go? And taking the thing that was relevant to him in the room, he wanted to do something with the rope. Next thing I know, he's doing a routine that's under, over, through, round, Mm -hmm. jump, skip, backwards. And it was just framed differently to make it relevant to him. And he was away. And then he's like, yeah, can I film it? Can I do it again? Yeah, that is the journey. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about participation. And I think that's quite natural that this sort of conversation often does go down that road. But just Mm -hmm. to pull you back to performance, because both of you also have performance companies performing shows and Mm -hmm. that awful word evaluation which actually I think we just need to change because Anthony when you talked about conversation earlier on I think we should just replace it and call it conversation instead of evaluation but anyway how do you shouldn't we yeah I'm going to bring that in (laughs) that's it now Mel says so (laughs) but how do you collect that how do you have that conversation at the end of your shows what do you do to find out whether your audience liked what you were doing or not do you have any cool tools and tricks one that's not rocket science that we do most of the time is post-show yeah. discussions just open the floor to go okay we've done that bit now let's talk about it so you know we can talk a bit about what was going on or not or just open the floor and it's amazing conversations that emerge out of those i absolutely love sitting there and watching things start to bounce across the people that have watched and debates and challenges being thrown back and forward 
that that's a really good space for us to get a grip on what people thought or felt, particularly felt for me. Mm. How about you, Zoe? I think something that surprised me with Sleuth is obviously we get these huge evaluation sheets that we have to fill in. And they're not the most exciting. And they are what they are. They are to collect data. But when you're offering a really exciting experience and then you want someone to fill in a form, you're almost stopping the buzz in a sense yeah. so trying to find ways to place that and put importance on that has been interesting with sleuth i was a bit like cringy at the possibility to start with so i'll go out at the end and just say look we've got these forms we'd really love you to fill them in i was like oh, okay it's a bit like shaking the bucket i was like oh is this gonna work is this gonna seem a bit weird am i gonna seem a bit needy or a little bit asky but what happened was i was able to go out and say hi i'm zoe like oh you oh awesome tell them a little bit about why we brought the show here and then explain the importance of the form and just go this is just really important we want to just keep doing more stuff and we'd love it if you could help us out by filling it in and it was like a 90% return because you're just asking and they're realizing the value that they're giving you a tip I could share is that when I was working with Lucas Silverstein's protein and his show border tales he used a kind of border card it became part of yeah. the show is that you got your border card to fill out it, it was good Lizanne who's head of engagement over the last few years we've been working a lot on how to make evaluation like accessible and a little bit more exciting and interesting and she's created these amazing charts where you just stick dots on and you just turn it into a visual representation which we can mm. then compound into whatever eval we want and that's been nice because it's a bit more interactive mm. and just a little bit more of a creative way to gather what is needed yes especially for young people that are not wanting to I'm, I'm yeah. literally bribing my children at the moment with jelly beans to write anything so they certainly wouldn't be filling yeah. out any kind of form for anyone unless you had sweets <laughs> so we're coming to the end but I've got a couple of last questions this one just a short one so you've engaged in conversation people have told you what you think whose feedback do you most value and have you ever disagreed with anything what do you do if you do I think in disagreeing it's always really good to allow people space to voice what it is they want to voice, yeah. give their opinion, but you can take or leave yeah. as you want. People will say, oh, you know, it might've been nice to see this, or you could do this. And then sometimes you just have to say to yourself, you make that show like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is how I wanted to do it. And this is what I think is cool. <laughs> have you tried it? Do you want to give it a watch? Yeah, yeah no, you go okay. for it. It's public, isn't it? We put it out there and it's there to be judged in effect. There's a real transactional thing that happens if you bought a ticket. It's almost like, I've got to make a commentary after and you can't, as an artist, expect it all to be you know roses and that's absolutely fine there's ones that are amazing there's people that have blown me away by their response unexpected and then there's some comments where I've got actually that's quite just maybe I'll have a think about that and like Anthony said it's up to us to decide whether we want to take those comments forward or not but not judge where they're coming from or why yeah yeah Yeah. and what's relevant and valuable for you at that moment in time yeah And another one about the change that COVID's made to us. I wonder if some of the metrics that we and our funders have been using up until now, which were often about audience or participant numbers, has changed because we can't bring large gatherings of people together anymore. So once upon a time, that was what was expected when we were handed some money. But now... I feel for the work that we've been doing, there's been a kind of new sense of value placed on the quality of an experience for a smaller group of people. So hence that doorstep tour kind of thing, that actually instead of having to reach 5,000 people, which was in our funding agreement, we reached 600, but we did it in this really unique way. Mm. And I wondered whether that, well, A, I wonder how long that's here to stay, but I wondered whether that's played out for you and whether that's changing anything at all in the way that you do things. Do you feel that that anything might be changing in the way that we're measuring and valuing, quantifying really the impact that we're making? 
I think what COVID has done, because the limitations are so massive that even if you get anything done is a winner. That's really beautiful because it takes us back down to, I remember we came out of lockdown and I got the ride performers together. And on day one, we just had to sit with each other because we hadn't seen another human. And it was so overwhelming that even just that was a success in a time where everything's been removed. I know that me personally, the takeaway of physical connection and being in space with people has made me replace value on the intimacy of a a moment with someone or the quality that you give or the time you spend on it, making it, like you say, the best experience it can possibly be instead of just mass number each. Yeah, I think a lot of the online stuff obviously is measurable and we can make some demonstration of an increased reach with that. I think we're incredibly lucky to have really good relationships and dialogue with all of our funders. So, you know, they trust in what we do and trust in our creativity to still be able to create experiences for people. And right now, for me, a lot of that is how to try and get out hyper-local as soon as we can get onto the streets. And, you know, that's not going to touch hundreds of people at the same time, but it's no less valuable. It's maybe way more valuable for a fewer number of people. That's okay. Should be okay. The nature of change has been adopted even more. Yeah, as I was saying, there's a bit more flexibility to go, oh, we can't do that. We're going to go this way. Oh, gosh, no, it's changed again. We're going to go this way. So the process of change is a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more empathy to that, which is cool because you're going down a rabbit hole as an artist. You're like, oh, gosh, nope, <laughs> it's that way. So that's yeah, quite cool. Yeah. And I think I also have to say thank you to our funders, at least, Absolutely, for yeah, having the trust and supporting us in that. I think everyone's trying to figure it out. And it's been brilliant that all of them have stepped forward to go, yes, you know, let's try and find the way together. Let's talk about it together and develop it. Yeah, It's been fundamental, hasn't it? I think we're in a similar situation. We've had really lovely open dialogue. And as you said, Zoe, if you can do anything, that's amazing. And so suddenly this trust, this openness, you know, the ability to be able to say to them, oh, my God, schools are shut again. Yes, that plan that we crafted together can't happen. Oh, my God, what should we do? Nobody knows what we should do. So it's really nice that both of us can come into the room together and go, what should we do now? What about if we do this? Yeah, okay. why don't you do that? Yes, you can use the money to do that. That has shifted. And then new ideas as well, right? Like sometimes that same thing, it's a different parameter. You're like, oh, never thought about like that before things are getting taken away and given and taken away that Mm. some of the geniusness that's come out of the zoologic team and she just like blown me away about some of the ideas and the angles awesome so my very last question to you both how useful do you think is the question what does success look like for you as you measure Mm. your work and the impact of it in a non-funding reporting sense for me success is just seeing witnessing somebody we're engaging with make a discovery And to see that the experience is not just for the immediate, but it's something that somebody can carry on chewing over for a longer period of time. For me, that's that's what I deem as success. How about you, Zoe? Absolutely word for word the same. I was going to say, you're going to say what he said, aren't you? Yeah, what he said. You know, success, I think, now is being able to find the resources and create capacity to allow it. That's been really great for me as the company's grown is to go, okay, cool. There's this pot of money. How do we use it best? And knowing that it has all of those impacts that Anthony's just said, that's just great when you can empower people and they empower you. It's just a constant exchange of joyousness. Lovely, lovely sentences to finish on. Joyousness and exchange. It's about us 
learning and growing as well as the participants learning and growing so thank you both for joining me and having that discussion today it feels like a good place to leave it so if you would like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today search for talking moves wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to subscribe leave a review and spread the word and for more information about zoe and anthony head on over to greenwichdance.org.uk and do remember that if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about please tweet us at Greenwich Dance. And for today, that's it from us. But join us next time for more Talking Moves. Thank you both. Melanie, you should be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs>